Good morning, dear friends. Today's study touches on a topic that I'm asked about from time to time whenever God is presented as a non-violent, non-destroying being, a God who seeks to save all mankind, but nevertheless removes his protection and leaves those who fully reject him to the results of being without his protection in a sin-cursed world. In essence, letting them have what they choose to have. Now, one question that I usually get is, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Doesn't the Bible say that God destroyed them? Well, that's a fair enough question, and I believe it deserves a fair enough answer, which means an answer that is strongly supported from both the Bible and from other evidence that is available to anyone today, from discoveries that have been made about those cities. So let's jump right in. Today's topic is what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Now whenever we hear or read of certain calamities or judgments coming upon cities or nations, people in general are conditioned to just automatically think of something supernatural happening, as if God is up in heaven supernaturally using his divine power to stir up things on earth into a destructive mode to punish people. But not so, dear friends. We tend to forget that we live in a world in which the laws of nature have already been destabilized and placed in a destructive mode by the fall of man. This is what has brought sin and all its destructive results into the world. So the world as we see it is not this safe, wonderful place as it was when God just created it. Because before the fall, Adam and Eve did not need to have guardian angels because they were sinless beings and death came as a result of sin. But after sin came into this world, then they needed guardian angels. To whatever extent the world looks like this wonderful place to live in, it's only, dear friends, because we are living under God's grace. And thus, under this period, the power of God is actively exercised moment by moment in holding back the winds of strife. In other words, God is continuously engaged in restraining the powers of evil and the forces of nature which have gone spoiled and dysregulated by sin. So God is actively restraining and upholding. This is a work of restraining evil and its effects in order that the earth can be maintained as an environment which can be lived in. While at the same time, he is sending messages of warning and beseeching mankind to get into the safety net, which is called Jesus Christ, before every case is decided and he finally has to let it all go. And letting go is spoken of in Revelation chapters 6 and 7 as the outpouring of the seven last plagues upon the earth. This means that all of nature is let loose. God no longer restrains it and allows sin to bring about upon those who have ultimately rejected God what sin does and under the control of the evil one, the first great sinner, Satan. So the peace and the calm which we are able to enjoy is only because of God's constant, active holding back of evil and destruction, which is just waiting to happen. In other words, mercy continues to plead with mankind. But the Bible tells us that a time will suddenly come upon the earth when the line is drawn, and then it will be too late 
for anyone to get on God's side after that. And that is graphically presented in Revelation 22 and verse 11 as a time when a final decree goes forth, unheard by mankind, but nevertheless, only God knows that time when that line is drawn. And that decree finalizes the destiny of everyone based on where they stand in relation to God at that moment. And this was shown to the Apostle John, the writer of the book of Revelation, by Jesus Christ himself. While John was exiled on the rugged and barren island of Patmos. And it reads, Revelation 22 from 10 to 11. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. The line is drawn and no one can repent. No one can change sides at that point. That is when God will let go and what the Bible calls the seven last plagues will be taking place upon the earth. Now, when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, the indications are that this was another situation in which God finally removed himself and let fallen nature take its course. Let's look at destruction of the cities. We're told in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 24, The Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Notice how it reads, The Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Verse 25 says, And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. And then verse 26 tells us that Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Verse 28 of Genesis 19 tells us that the smoke of the burning went up like the smoke of a furnace. Now, according to the language, God caused the destruction by raining fire and brimstone from heaven. That's how it reads. But let's examine the evidence a little bit. First of all, let's look at the geological makeup of the plain of Jordan otherwise known as the Vale of Siddim in the Bible. And this is the region where these cities were. Now, it was not just Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed. There were five cities, and the Bible names them too. There were Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim and Zor, otherwise known as Bela. But there were five of them. And Sodom and Gomorrah are just the two that are most famous. So those are usually named in reference to that destruction which happened in the region of the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea with Zeboim being furthest to the north and then Adma a little way down right by the Dead Sea also and then Gomorrah down further by the Dead Sea and running alongside and then there was um, Sodom a little ways further towards the south of the Dead Sea. And then there is Zor, south of Sodom, along the side of the Dead Sea. So these are five cities that were destroyed at that time. Now these cities are first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 19. It says, And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you come to Gerar and Gaza, as you come unto Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. So four of them are mentioned right here, these cities. And Zor is mentioned in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10 and in other areas too. 
So there were five cities that were destroyed in this destruction. Now, the elements by which these cities were destroyed, the Bible tells us, was fire and brimstone. When people read of brimstone in the Bible, they immediately think of something mysterious and destructive coming down from heaven. Instead of something destructive which occurs naturally in the earth of this fallen world. Brimstones are not something mysterious. Brimstones are highly concentrated masses of sulfur which are present in the form of bitumen. Sulfur it is. In Deuteronomy 29 and verse 23, Moses writes, And that the whole land thereof is brimstone, and salt, and burning, that it is not sown, nor bears, nor does any grass grow therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. That is how Moses represents it in the Bible language. But notice it says the whole land in that area was salt and burning and brimstone. Moses is describing this area over 400 years after the destruction of Solomon Gomorrah. And he said the area is loaded with brimstone, with salt and burning. So he's speaking of this geographical region and he says that an unusually amount of brimstone and salt is found in that land. Don't miss that. Notice that he says the land is not good for farming because nothing grows there. And he says it has a lot of salt. Lot's wife turned what? Pillar of salt, right? That's what the Bible says, right? Now Moses also states that there is burning in the land. What do you suppose that this is talking about? Thermal activity in the area, volcanic activity, underground heat. Now remember that brimstone is sulfur. It is a substance that's found in the earth in many regions of the world and which, as we know, is used on the tip of matches as an ignition agent in households all around the world. Now, let's look at some other characteristics of that region that are common to that region to this very day. It's an area that's rich in petroleum products. Genesis 11:3, And they said one to another, Go, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, which means pitch, they had for mortar. This is when they were building the Tower of Babel. Slime here is pitch. It's a petroleum product like asphalt. It's very plentiful in that area. It means that there is oil, there is petroleum products that are underground that are very plentiful in that area. In Genesis 14.10, speaking of that same region, it says, And the veil of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. This is when they were having some conflict with Abraham, and they were fleeing away from Abraham and his party. The point is that it said the area is full of slime pits. Now this is long before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it was an area that was rich in salt, rich in tar, and petroleum products, it was rich in sulfur, which is called brimstone in the Bible. And all of these were in that era long before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, from in the very early days, from long before the time of Abraham. In fact, long before that, from they were building the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 verse 3 tells us. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us about Moses and his mother when she was trying to shield him from Pharaoh. 
when he was trying to kill all the babies in Israel. He said, And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. So this is Moses as a baby in the river Nile, his mother hiding him. She used same tar from that area to make that basket to seal it from water coming in. So that pitch there that is mentioned, or slime, is what is called also, it refers to bitumen, pitch or asphalt or tar. It is described, matter of fact, in Chambers' 20th century dictionary, and it says it is a name applied to various highly flammable or flammable mineral substances such as naphtha, petroleum, and asphalt. So long before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, this area was plentiful in these things. Tar was used from earliest times. In fact, in the time of the New Testament, Josephus, who was a historian, reported that there were huge pieces of tar floating in the water of the Dead Sea. And these were collected by ships and sold when they traded. They were traded by ships. And this was written in Wars of the Jews, Volume 4. And the tar was used for sealing the seams of ships. And in fact, history shows that hundreds of years before the time of Abraham, Dead Sea tar was already being traded to Egypt for use in preserving their dead in sealed caskets, as you know, mummies or what they call them. Now, tar was used to caulk boats, even from Noah's day. We see this in Genesis 6.14, for example, when God told him to make an ark. It says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. That is tar. So the Bible says the area was full of tar pits. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 10 also. And there are also petroleum products as can be seen in the oil slicks that occur regularly on the surface of the water. We just read about Josephus, the historian, mentioning that even in his day, 2,000 years later, that was still a big factor, was still plentiful. Big chunks of tar or asphalt occasionally floated up to the surface of the Dead Sea or Salt Sea as it is also called. In fact, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Volume 4, page 165, it reads, The Dead Sea was known in ancient times as Lake Asphaltitis because of the semi-solid petroleum washed up on its shores from underwater seepages. So this is well known that it's an area that was rich in tar, in petroleum products or pitch, which the Bible calls slime, because it's used as mortar to hold bricks together and to seal ships. And it was noted for other things also. For example, volcanoes. They have discovered also that this area is frequently disturbed by earthquakes. There is what's called the African and Arabian tectonic plates. And these are known today they lie on either sides of the Dead Sea, right along the areas where those cities were. And tectonic plates mean that these are sliding plates of the Earth's crust in areas where earthquakes have happened or are prone to happen. For example, Jamaica straddles the Caribbean plate. It's known as the tectonic plate, the Caribbean plate, and the Gonave microplate. That is why Jamaica had an earthquake back in 1692 that destroyed Port Royal. 
because it lies on one of these fault zones of earthquakes. The countries of Jamaica, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, all of them straddled what's called the Enriquillo earthquake fault zone. That is just what it's known as. It is shown that over there in the area of the Dead Sea where all these cities were, they have the African Arabian fault zone. Plates of the Earth's crust that run along there and they have frequent earthquakes there. So there are the perfect conditions for major catastrophe. It is also a volcanic region where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were. There are hot springs on both sides of the Dead Sea as evidence of underground molten activity or heating activity on the ground. So this is a very unstable region. There is a high level of underground heat or thermal energy in this area. And today this area is part of what is called the Levant Volcanic Province. It extends from the northeast of Jordan through Syria and the Golan Heights in Israel. So this is a very volatile region. As if that is not enough, in addition to that, geologists have found huge quantities of oil and natural gases in the ground at the southern end of the Dead Sea. Methane gas. And these emissions are far more powerful greenhouse gases than even carbon dioxide. They are 28 times more powerful. Just a few years ago, Israel announced the discovery of a very rich gas well in the Dead Sea area. And this latest well yields gas that's almost pure methane. And methane is highly flammable. There are similar hot spots like this in different parts of the world. For example, in Antarctica, there is a hot spot like this where methane gas comes out of the earth and oil is under the earth. And it's a volcanic region too. Siberia also is an area that has all of these things. The African wetlands has methane gas emissions coming out from the earth showing that these things are below. Over there in the Middle East, in other areas, even in Pennsylvania in the US, there is also these kind of hot spots where you find a combination of these factors. Now, another thing that we read about in Genesis when we talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis 19.26, speaking of Lot's wife, he said, but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now, generally, when people read Genesis 19.26, they are prone to think that some supernatural power was applied in turning her flesh and blood and bones and cartilage into salt. Instead of seeing, in nature, a state of eruption, producing a landslide, for example, or some similar catastrophe, which covered her in salt as she stopped to look back and watch, instead of keeping up with the others who were trying to get away as far as possible. Remember now, she had two of her daughters left back there in Sodom also because they didn't believe the city was going to be destroyed. If she was covered under a great quantity of salt, breaking away, it would be normal for the writer to say she became a pillar of salt based on the custom of the time. Salt was also a major element in the geological makeup of this area. In fact, to this very day, mineral-rich salt is mined from the region and exported all over the world. It is still a major industry for the region. In fact, I just ordered 15 pounds of salt from the Dead Sea area. And it is supposed to arrive this morning as I'm working on this study here. 
I'm supposed to be getting my 15 pounds of salt from the Dead Sea because it's good to put in your baths. It's rich mineral salt and it mineralizes the body. So there are pillars of salt all around the Dead Sea area. You can go online and you can see it's an area that has mountains of salt. In fact, the Mount of Sodom, it's called Jebel Udsum, and this is at the south end of the Dead Sea region. It is composed of 50% rock salt. So, in the eruptions and upheavals that took place when this whole thing blew, she could have been covered under a pile of salt. As the hillsides broke away and land started to collapse as she lingered. Doesn't mean her flesh and blood turned, but she was covered under a pile of salt. In the phrase pillar of salt, the word pillar comes from the root word pile. The Bible says that when Abraham looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah during the burning and towards all the land of the plain, it says he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Smoke rising like smoke from a furnace, it indicates the burning of oil such as would be expected under these kind of pressures in which there's oil under the earth and it's being forced out of the ground under pressure during an earthquake or an eruption. And this also fits with the thick smoke of a petroleum fire. For example, during the Gulf War a few years ago, when the oil fields of Kuwait were burning, that's exactly what it looked like. A thick black smoke billowing as if out of a furnace. That's how petroleum burns. If you go online, you look at the pictures, you will see that. You go online, you will see pictures of piles of salt that are being mined for export right there in the Dead Sea region. So this is nothing unusual for the area. And this is how this area was even long before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So based on the evidence that we have from the Bible, based on what archaeologists and geologists who have visited the area and have done many excavations and research there, taking many pictures which are available to anyone, I have a ton of them too, and based on what is happening there even today, we can see that the natural environment of Sodom and Gomorrah, that region of the Dead Sea, was one where there was molten lava underneath the earth, which heats the underground aquifers, producing numerous hot springs and heated salt baths in the area. That is why you have people going to the Dead Sea to bathe in the Dead Sea. In fact, their Hilton Hotel just built a resort over there because people travel from all over the world to go to soak in the mineral salts of the Dead Sea area. There are huge quantities of highly flammable natural gases underground. That's methane gas and frequent emissions of these explosive methane gases from the earth. It's an oil-rich area with huge quantities of petroleum products underground to this very day. Bitumen, which is extremely high concentrations of sulfur, which is called brimstone, is found in that region. Brimstone is found in many different parts of the world, but some of the highest concentrations of sulfur is found in the rocks and the soil in the surrounding areas of the Dead Sea. There are also sliding tectonic plates in the earth, which shows that earthquakes are frequent in that area. In fact, there's a long record of earthquake activity and tremors in the area, showing that the area is very prone to these things. It is not that these things were only there 4,000 years ago when the cities were on fire but they are still there even today as first-hand evidence of what happened back then.
So all the ingredients to account for the very fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities are still found there today. And that being the case, why would God or anyone need to send fire and sulfur or brimstone from some other place, from heaven or wherever, to destroy these cities? The sad fact is that people actually believe that God has tons and tons of sulfur up in heaven, which he just casts down to earth when he gets angry and wants to wipe out some bad people. But this is really a childish view that is held when it is not given conscious, serious thought. In Joshua, the Bible also says that God cast down great stones, hailstones from heaven upon their enemies. Now, does anyone actually believe that up in paradise, God has piles and piles of stones or hailstones which he throws down to the earth? Some people actually believe this. But how do hailstones form? Hailstones are formed when there is a rainstorm and thunderstorm and the raindrops coming out of the clouds are carried upwards by an updraft of wind into the extremely cold areas of the atmosphere and they freeze and then they fall back to the earth as hail. God doesn't have hailstones in heaven to cast down to the earth. This is just the way they wrote in those times. For example, in the book of Job, it tells us that it was Satan who was bringing afflictions upon Job and destroying his property and his children and his body. Yet when Job's property was being destroyed, what news did the messengers give him? They said the fire of God is come down from heaven and destroyed all the cattle. No, does God have combustible fire in heaven? Fire that burns like we know fire? Does God have this in heaven to cast down to earth? Not at all. They were seeing lightning shooting from the skies and destroying Job's property. And it was normal in those primitive times to see this as God sending fire down from heaven. Besides, it was not even God involved because the book of Job itself tells us it was Satan doing these things and Satan is not even in heaven and cannot go there. Yet lightning, like hailstones, like thunder, and all these things are things that occur when the elements of nature go out of control. But this is just how the Bible writers express things and we have to be able to see beyond the cultural practice of how they describe these events to come to a balanced, rational understanding which is in harmony with truth. In fact, there is only one kind of fire that God has in heaven and it is nothing like what you may think. And we will cover this in another study entitled The Fire of God. But it's nothing like the fire which burns up anything on earth. Now, the simple fact is that these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and the rest, they were sitting on a highly combustible environment with all the ingredients buried under the earth beneath them for hundreds of years. The region was like a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. And for hundreds of years, they were being preserved by the very mercy and grace of God. But by their immorality and corruption, when their cup of iniquity was full, God was left no righteous option but to remove from the cities Lot and his family, those who were still willing to be saved, and withdraw his preserving presence from them. This means that God withdrew his restraint 
from the destructive elements in their environment, leaving them up to the gods of their choosing, thus allowing the curse of sin that was brooding over that region to run its natural course. Understand, dear friends, divine power is never exercised to hurt, but always only to heal. It is never used to destroy, but rather to create. If not, then the moment a sinner touched the sinless one, Jesus, then they would have been instantly destroyed. But instead they are healed, like the woman who had the issue of blood. She pushed through the crowd, she touched just his garments. She wasn't destroyed, she was healed. Divine power is never exercised to hurt, but only to heal. So these cities were given up. The cities of the plain, they were destroyed by the explosive fire elements of their environment when sin separated them from God, producing what is described as God forsaking them or giving them up as we saw in previous studies, or God hiding his face from them, or God's wrath. It means he withdrew himself and left them up to the calamities that were around them. Every square inch of this earth is under the curse of sin. And only God knows all the things that he's shielding us from. He is constantly restraining the evils that are all around us. The inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim and Zor had put the shackles upon their own selves due to the gross immorality which had become the norm for them. In the utter destruction that came upon these cities, they were merely reaping the harvest which their own hands had sown. Their destruction is often represented as a punishment that was put upon them by the direct hand of God. But this is not so. By stubborn rejection of divine love and mercy, these people had caused the protection of God to be withdrawn from them and Satan was permitted to rule them according to his will. And so the horrible calamities that engulfed them are a demonstration of Satan's vindictive power over all those who yield to his control, after God's saving hand has been finally withdrawn from them. So we cannot even begin to know how much we owe to Christ for the peace and the protection which we enjoy day by day. It is the restraining power of God, dear listener, that prevents mankind from passing fully under the control of Satan and the evils of a world that is under the curse, the world that we live in. The disobedient and unthankful ones have great reason to be thankful for God's mercy and his long-suffering in holding back the cruel, the malignant power of the evil one. But when men pass their limits in impenitence, in sin and immorality, in rejection of God, in rebellion, that restraint is finally removed. Understand, dear friends, that God does not stand towards the sinner as an executioner of the sentence against transgression. But he simply leaves the rejecters of his mercy to themselves to reap that which they themselves have sown. There is enough destruction upon this earth. God doesn't have to send additional. The earth is in that state of instability caused by sin. So every ray of light and truth that men reject, and every warning that is mocked or unheeded, every sinful passion that is indulged, every transgression of the law of God, 
all of these are seeds sown which yields their sure harvest. So the Spirit of God, when persistently and persistently resisted, it is at last withdrawn from the sinners, and then there is left no power to control the evil passions of the soul and no protection from the terrible enmity of Satan and the destructions of a fallen world. So the destruction of these cities are a fearful and solemn warning to all who are ignoring the offers of divine grace and resisting the pleadings of divine mercy. It is a decisive testimony of the certain punishment that will fall upon the guilty when God finally stops restraining the evil and let it all run its course. Only those who are hid in Christ will be protected, and the world is rapidly moving towards this point. Dear friends, put your trust in God. Let Him be your refuge and strength, and you will find that His help is sufficient in time of need. God bless you all. Have a great week. Music